Welcome back to the Lime Podcast. My name is Aaron Alexander. This is a place that we bring together the world's leading experts in all things health and wellness to help you optimize your mind, body, and movement. Today's gorgeous conversation is with my new friend, Dr. Stephen Lin. Dr. Lin is a world-leading functional dentist and number one best-selling author of the book, The Dental Diet. In this conversation, we get into human evolution, we get into psychedelics, we get into the relationship of our dental health to the rest of our health, our neurological well-being, our immune well-being, and really how it's associated to every other system in the body. I think this is a really fun, dynamic conversation that you guys are going to get a lot out of. I want to thank you guys for leaving us reviews in Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you're listening to this. I want to read a review from Kay Gallegos. Kay Gallegos said, for everyone, exclamation point, Aaron does an excellent job providing interesting, informative topics which benefit everyone. No matter your situation in life, Aaron's podcast covers all sides of an issue in order to give the listeners the best information possible. I've learned so much from this podcast and I'm truly grateful for the entertaining, easygoing attitude that Aaron provides. It feels like you're welcoming a friend into your home. Thank you, Kay. And thank you everybody for tuning in. Thanks for subscribing to this. Thanks for sharing it. And thanks for just being out there listening. Hopefully it is making a difference in your life. I uh, think once again, this conversation is quite meaningful and it will be a valuable one to share. Let's get to it with the good doctor, Stephen Lynn. It's interesting, the overlays of all the different movement practices and then getting into things like functional dentistry and what is it, myofunctional therapy, like tongue exercises and how that overlays into the the yogic world and Eastern philosophy and completing the, the microcosmic orbit is like the connection of the tongue up to the roof of the mouth and connecting that front channel and the back channel. And that leads to like, you know, all sorts of wily aspirational things like enlightenment and things of the sort, not really enlightenment, but it's like supposed to open up your consciousness. Um, have you paid attention to any of those kind of overlays of Eastern medicine or Eastern philosophy and Western mechanics at all? Or is this, is that, does that make sense? No, actually, Aaron, the, the, the description you just put together is, is really on point, actually. And it's kind of where I found that my kind of, you know, material work in, uh, in the world of oral health and dentistry and understanding the, the connection between the mouth and body has really led me to the connection between the mouth and the mind. And that has been, yeah, like quite transformational in what, you know, both the way I look at, you know, the world philosophically but then also to the, the inner process, you know, how we actually access, you know, different states of consciousness and how there's so much more going on to, you know, what we can do with both our body and our mind if we align things properly. So, yeah, that's exactly the journey. It's kind of the, the pieces I'm putting together now. It's where I'm doing kind of my personal practice and bringing together what I'm seeing patients. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable what, you know, both dental practice has kind of taught me and then how I've been able to stack it on top of, all these different modalities that you kind of just mentioned and, and the, the results are really profound. It, it's remarkable. Yeah. So uh, what I really like to do is I like to take some of those kind of ethereal, esoteric, metaphysical concepts and bring them into some Western anatomical translation, because most of that, you know, a, a lot of those conversations around maybe bringing some type of higher consciousness or something of the sort through utilizing the mechanics of your, your, the posture of your tongue, that opens up things like like spaciousness in your airway 
you know, and, and if a person's not breathing correctly or their, their mouth breathing or maybe things like, like malocclusion, you know, your teeth starting to get jammed up together because you're not utilizing that natural retainer that is your tongue to open up the maxilla, that will start to close in not just your, your physical body, but all the implications beyond that of the way that you sleep and the way that you think and the way that you, you know, you process information, you know, and so I, I'd love to, to kind of break down, you know, why does tongue posture matter? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a really good description that you kind of just put together and one that we really, really miss. I think kind of firstly, like the, the way, you know, if we look at it from a Western perspective, we kind of see how unaligned we are with, you know, with, with how important the craniofacial system is. It's, you know, when we're our first existence, which is, you know, a tiny sperm, which is a head and a tail, which is a, basically, you know, a brain and a, a, a spinal nerve. And then so from here, what happens is that, you know, we have this explosion of development that happens throughout, you know, when we're um, a neonate into when, you know, a, a breastfeeding baby with our teeth and then all these, all of our teeth start to erupt and the craniofacial system starts to mature and we begin to place the, the mature cranial nerves into the teeth that then end up being these sensory organs for the rest of our lives. During this process, we are really interrupted. And so our kids today are not developing their craniofacial systems the way we are designed to. And that is with 32 human teeth in good spacing, with airway support, with proper musculoskeletal and fascial support of the, of the, the oropharyngeal and, nas- and nasopharyngeal areas. And so when this happens, we fall into this dysfunction and misalignment. And we're unfortunately a long way from the point where we should be, which is why this is so foreign to a lot of people, you know, if you're talking about maxillary expansion and maxillary space and people are going, what on earth are you talking about? It's because we haven't really recognized or understood that this is an incredibly, an incredibly important part of our being that we are, we are not developing at the moment. And it shows that, that as a whole, our body is lacking you know, core nutrients and core fundamental physical inputs that we really require to grow and develop and be in the world as we should. So... The, the connection in kids is that we don't eat properly, we don't breathe properly, and then we don't posture properly, and then our, our face system just doesn't grow the way it should. Yeah, you had, I was looking at your Instagram, and you had um, a post about using, I think the term is an aspirator. It's like, a, like an air, little like nasal passage opener device. Like, I don't know what it does. I think maybe it pulls out boogers or something or, or create space for a child to be able to breathe. Is that correct? And if that is correct, why does that matter? Yeah. So one of the, I mean, especially when I'm newborn, so I've got three kids, three under three, and it's, you know, I've kind of learned a lot about the, the tiny human body. And there's so much, sim- so many simple, but really, really important things that happen during these stages. And one of the most important things is that a newborn doesn't have teeth. And so, you know, the most important thing that a parent can do is actually clean a child's nose twice a day so that the child can nasal breathe because Wow. Kids are, for the most part, obligate nasal breathers when they when they are given the opportunity to. And the opportunity is that we we need the sinus to be clear of any mucus, any kind of congestion that will block. And then, if you watch a child, so I, I watch it in my kids. So my kids are probably being sick once or twice in their lives. And um, when they do get a little bit blocked up, they do revert to mouth breathing. And you know, the mouth breathing I see in patients is from a habit that has formed from the time that you've been blocked. And you've just never gone back to reappropriating yourself into nasal breathing, which we're designed to do. Yeah. It's such an interesting thing to be able to wind back and see like the original source of like 
know, I think culturally, you could probably easily argue that we're going collectively going down, I don't know, maybe like a, a biologically disadvantageous road to be polite. You know, and it's it's an interesting thing to 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 be able to wind back and say like, wow, there was a, a moment that you chose a turn, or maybe subconsciously chose or didn't chose the mold, your your environmental conditions kind of formed you, and you didn't have the awareness to be able to make you know a different choice. And now we're going deeper and deeper and deeper down that path. And now the solutions are more you know coming from this like allopathic model of you know we're treating the symptoms as opposed to to winding back and getting to the root of like at some point we made a turn. You know, and I think it's such an interesting thing to come all the way back to that point of like, oh, well, maybe at some point in your life, like you weren't able to breathe correctly. And now you built a, a house on top of dysfunction. And now here you are overweight, depressed, anxious, you know, sleep apnea, suicidal, maybe, you know, statistically speaking. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy. I mean, and to be honest, like not many people can put it together with that kind of foresight that you are. And the issue is that, yeah, that we're really misunderstanding, you know, these kind of conversations that I have with patients that is sitting in my chair, you know, say, you know, the amount of people that have insomnia or that haven't slept, you know, more than three or four hours a night because they simply, they wake or they can't get to sleep properly or there's something bothering them. And, you know, and we just have, have a conversation about it. And there's always this point in their childhood where, you know, something has impeded their airway or their sleep process that they, that, and you see the lights turn on. And then once they kind of realize that everything, the whole thing changes, their, their energy changes, the view on their, their treatment options and, and their path, you know, for healing, moving forward changes. And it's so important to find those origin points of where sickness comes from, because otherwise you just get stuck in patterns that you really don't understand. Yeah. It's kind of like, like digging up a root trauma you know at some point maybe there was some kind of abuse or something and like maybe i got in a car accident you know and winding back it's like oh there's that moment now i'm you know every time something that resembles that i have these triggers that come up it's kind of interesting to wind back into like the, the root you know physical functional myo facial trauma you know and be able to, okay here's the source so so with that information and i think i just kind of like mishmash a bunch of words there but with that information what can we do with that you know are we able to kind of turn back time like it's like where do we go from there yeah okay so i mean like kind of if we put it on a timeline like so we see where we where we have been and where we're going craniofacial dysfunction roughly starts you know we start to see it about twelve thousand years ago when we pick up the skulls you know where we what of what we call the agricultural revolution you know and then so from there leading forward we start to see this shrinking of of the dental arch and so but the modern dental arch that we see really hasn't kind of popped up. There was an anthropologist, Robert Corricini, that studied, you know, both ape and, and, um, and chimp populations. And he showed that environment was very, very influential on how the dental arch develops even in, in ape populations. But also, too, he did, he did studies in Kentucky where he showed that rural and non-rural people had differences in malocclusion, which is crooked teeth. So you move to, to urban populations and you get crooked teeth. So it happens in one generation. Weston A. Price showed the same thing in the 20s and 30s that the, the modern face just, de just deteriorates in one generation. So whilst we do have this anthropological kind of reference point of, yeah, hey, we used to have these huge jaws, the, what we're seeing today where we've got these wisdom teeth that are kind of horizontal and stuck and not even growing, you know, a lot of kids don't have space for adult teeth in front of it. Their canines get impacted up here or they get their second moles impacting at the back of the jaw. 
Now, that's a really, really, really modern, um, recent issue. And it's getting far worse. And even in my career, you know, I, I graduated 10 years ago. So I've been, I've been seeing patients for a decade. It has, it has gotten worse. You know, I'm seeing kids with worse malocclusions now than I did when I first started. And so this is something that, you know, probably the industrial revolution really really accelerated and then really the processed food revolution which we're probably going to have to mark in our history books which is the 70s and 80s and that that's where we are now you know we're in in generations that had parents that grew up on processed food they're eating the processed food then their jaws aren't developing and they, they have the functional issues as a result and the things that I have to kind of unfortunately explain to parents is that this is a generational problem probably our kids are still going to have these issues and then we're going to have to correct them out of it so the good thing is we do have orthopedic corrections now. So this kind of allopathic style model of once we, we set our anthropological norms and where the human body needs to be and should be, then we can actually set things up to, to grow things so that kids don't have these issues by and large. But, you know, I think we're going to be a few generations off, you know, these huge jaws growing organically again. Yeah. So a couple, so I think there's kind of like two intersecting lanes with the the conversation of the structure of our, our jaw and tongue posture and all that stuff. The the one is growing up in a, in a culture where maybe you're not chewing hard food, you're not chewing meat and you're not like really using your jaw muscles. And um, the other one, or like suckling, you know, on your mom's breast, you know, and, and setting up the tongue up for your proper position from that. And I would like to get into the, the specifics of all of that and like why that matters. And then the other lane which I'm sure they intersect, but the other lane would be the nutritional lane and fat soluble vitamins, particularly AD and, and K2, I think are, are some of the primary ones in their relationship with each other, which I think is interesting. So are those two separate lanes or are those pretty convergent conversations? The actual, the way that we're using the jaw and the nutrients that are going into our face. And obviously there's the convergence of the way that you chew the nutrients, but you know what I'm saying? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, yeah, so, so what you're kind of describing is that the more acknowledged cause of malocclusion is lack of chewing. And I agree with this to an extent. I agree that you know, we, we have taken out the, the mechanical aspect of food, which we know. Like, so when you pull out a, an anthropological skull from, you know, from a long time ago, you'll find this wear pattern. You don't often see in modern people's teeth now it's because they, they physically use their teeth more. And so the idea is that this is a musculoskeletal joint it has feedback to the muscles and it grows the bone through physical messages. I think it's an oversimplification. I think that, that it, is a, it is a huge factor and we need to think about the physical factors, which includes breathing, includes tongue posture, includes chewing. It includes all of the, the habitual things we can do with the mouth early on. And so, for instance, with a functional issue, um, so thumb sucking, for instance, can um, result in a kid with an open bite because the, the thumb sits up into the, the front uh, area of the palate and then the, the teeth develop around that and then we don't get the closing of the jaw. We know physical factors affect the, how the jaw grows. However, I think the, the root cause becomes how the body is assimilating nutrients and minerals to actually to mineralize and grow the bones. And so one thing that we, we really don't what we haven't considered as much is how hormones play a role in bone development and the mineralization of bone and how complex bone mineralization is. You know, when, when kids' bones are being, are being formed, the, the, the bone is laying down minerals in these tiny kind of little spirals of hydroxyapatite. And then over time, it's, it's, it's slowly 
adding and adding and adding and strengthening the bone via all these minerals. Now, this takes, you know, decades basically to form an adult strong bone. Now, we're missing out on all that. So what seems to happen is that the body will kind of use as much um, resources as it has to get it to a certain point and then it'll stop and move on because it's got to survive. And so it won't use resources that it doesn't have. And so the big, you know, three nutrients that, you know, Western A. Price identified, which is devoid in the modern diet, vitamin D, which we know is critical in calcium metabolism in the body, but calcium is just the start of what vitamin D does. You know, doctors and medical professionals, you know, we're, we're taught that we absorb more calcium when we have enough vitamin D, but we're not taught about the hormonal influences of, of vitamin D. We're not taught about the genetic influences. We're not taught about the immune influences or the microbiome influences. Vitamin D, which is a sunlight nutrient, does everything. And, you know, you said you were watching the, the sun um, set <laughs> just, just before. When you're watching the sunset, you're getting those near-infrared light messages through the, through the retina, and your body is, is turning um, neurohormones in your brain to form melatonin, which will then, melatonin will over, over the eight hours that you sleep, will act as a master antioxidant, but it will also tell all of the hormones to mineralize bone and solidify all of the resources the body has collected. And none of this has really been considered for some reason in craniofacial bones. We, we know that kids that are vitamin D deficient develop rickets. So the, the, the leg bone is bent over because there's no strength in the, the long bone of, of the thigh. And then when we give these kids cod liver oil, which is vitamin A and D and other omega fatty acids and so forth, it, you can reverse it almost you know, during the development process. We don't think of this in the craniofacial system. And it's, it's pretty crazy when you think about it, the tool that we use to eat isn't affected by the foods that we actually eat. Mm. You know, and there's probably a number of reasons for that. But the way I kind of see it is that the, the mechanical view is true, but it's kind of maybe superficial. But then when, when we dive deeper into a true understanding of the body, we find that there is a yearning need for these nutrients that are sunlight-derived, so star-derived, that assimilates all of the critical things that helps the bone to grow and, and solidify far stronger than, than it does today. Hmm. That's so cool. So it's like, it seems like the, the, the nutrients are kind of like the, maybe affect the constant, if we're building a house, they'd affect the, the constitution of the, of the materials and then the, the way that we utilize our our muscles, our, our tongue muscles and the way that we breathe and all that stuff. That's kind of like the, the schematics or the construction workers engineering. Okay. Well, now where we put this stuff, is that appropriate? Yeah. Yeah. And you can actually probably, you know, the, the so vitamin D for instance, kind of pulls up all the materials. It gathers all of the, um, you know, the, the calcium from the digestive system, but then, you know, there's inter intercorrelation with magnesium, which is plays a big part in bone. And, you know, there's a huge constitution of magnesium right throughout the bones and teeth. And so it's directing and directed by these minerals and, you know, lots of other minerals, things like boron and phosphorus and, you know, all of these, you know, critical nutrients that the body pulls together. But then there are the cells that kind of turn things up and that's the osteoclast. And so what they are, they're kind of like the worker cells and vitamin A is the osteoclast kind of driver. And this is why vitamin D and vitamin A have this critical pairing within the body. And so what vitamin A does is it helps the, the cells to be ready to use what the what the body has absorbed and then the the last factor is kind of the the ceiling or the kind of maybe the i'm not sure what the construction term would be like but you know when you kind of run something over and you seal it over or you, or you take the um the actual materials into the into the building that would be the sure. k that would be the k2 so the 
the A is a worker, the K2 is maybe the actual implementation of the, the minerals into the, into the structure. And so the K2 carries, so it's, it's literally a calcium binding protein. And so what it does when, when it's, it's activated, um, then K2 will pick up calcium and, and other minerals too and then carry it into bones and teeth. There's two proteins, osteocalcium and matrix GLA protein that go around the body and pick up calcium. And they put osteocalcin then puts it into the bones and teeth, which you can't do without the osteoclast, which is the actual bone making cells. But you know, the K2 probably gets it, it gets integrated into as well, which we don't think about is that these nutrients get then it all gets mixed into this amazing structure, which is hydroxyapatite. So I guess the, the, the kind of question that I, I have in relation to like the Weston A. Price stuff and like his, his book, Nutrition and Physical Degeneration, it seemed like a lot of what he was getting into and my limited understanding of his work i haven't read read the whole book i've kind of like like went through it but it was a lot of it was very nutritionally based and so i i wonder is there a direct correlation of these structural like the structural shape you know malocclusion and things of the sort with the actual nutrients in the food or is it is this the structural shape is it more a product of the way that we we move and the way that we use our our, our tongue and our, our breathing patterns yeah, well, it's both. I mean, so price is kind of the canary in the coal mine. So today, the problem is so widespread and so complex that you can't really pick it anymore because it's like, which kid has had enough nutrients and not enough, you know, physical kind of expression of the mouth and, and which children have had vice versa. Kids today have had everything. But what price right. was looking at was he found these pre-industrial populations where they had the nutrients and they had the function and the um one thing that he didn't consider is actually the, the parenting styles that help grow these children like, like the breastfeeding techniques and, and just simply closing the lips and so forth there's these little techniques right. that that you know grandmothers had that were just so on point as to help kids grow and develop as they should so but what price found that is that all of this happens you know, without interruption, you know, he looked at the anthropological skull records in each population, you know, in Peru and, you know, through African populations, it happens uninterrupted until the people start eating, eating the modern diet. Now, what we probably haven't considered and what he probably didn't write about, were there other considerations of that? You know, people probably got busy, you know, maybe women started to work in like a factory style setting and maybe they didn't spend as much time with their kids in these, in these situations. But as soon as these populations ate diets devoid in these nutrients, you know, and he showed that there were their traditional foods were twenty times as rich in vitamin A, D, and K two. He didn't identify K two, by the way. That was something that was found later down the track. He called it Activator X, and it, it took eighty years for us to work that out. But then, so he he found that the the kind of starting point is the loss of the nutrients. So once we lose the nutrients, we, our body kind of enters into this kind of chaotic survival state that firstly affects the teeth. And then, so the right. first thing that happens is the teeth degenerate. So, so it doesn't have the, the resources during growth and development, which is, you know, for the most part, not to 13. So up to 13, you, you get your, your full set of adult teeth. Um, so in those periods, if you don't have the correct amount of nutrients, we get these crooked sets of teeth. And that's what he identified in these populations. What he didn't have was the data of the decades of eating the processed diet that would, that, that would come after that. And then, so what, we have is that you continue to eat the diets that, that Price tried to warn us of, and that in the, the 50s and 60s, the heart attack incidents start to go up. In the 70s and 80s, type 2 diabetes starts to spring up. But then in 2000s, sleep apnea starts to pop up as like a, you know, and we're sitting now with a billion people on the planet 
that have you know sleep apnea and sleep apnea is only the severe form of the disease which is purely a volume issue of the of the nasal and oropharyngeal airways the next one is alzheimer's so what he was identifying was without these nutrients we firstly get these structural issues now alongside structural issues come a functional problem where it's like survival so for instance if your palate i see a lot of babies now with tiny little narrow palates. And so if they're not developing in utero, then what happens is that their tongue doesn't fit properly into the, the palate from the start, and they can develop a low tongue posture from the get-go. Low tongue posture then throws us into this whole survival pattern of forward head posture, of open mouth sleeping and mouth breathing that then further deforms the craniofacial system. So they're connected very much, but Price was kind of showing if we kind of zoom out and think about what was happening broadly in society, it seems the nutrients are first and then, and then we begin to get these more prevalent functional issues with the mouth, like mouth breathing, tongue and swallowing issues, and then these, these misaligned, underdeveloped jaws as, as a result. Wanted to share something that has been an absolute game changer for my sleep and muscular recovery that is magnesium particularly mag breakthrough from bio optimizers magnesium is a mineral that it's just wise to supplement it's largely deficient in modern day soil it's largely deficient in most people for that reason and mag breakthrough is a fantastic complex of magnesium it contains all seven different forms and it's fantastic i even chew the i open the capsules and taste it i think it tastes great might be a little weird, but uh, I genuinely appreciate the flavor of the product and think it's important to implement into anyone's life if you care about your sleep, if you care about muscular recovery. And the best part is you can get yourself a discount by going over to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcasts. That's M-A-G-B-R-E-A-K-T-H-R-O-U-G-H.com slash align podcast. And you'll get yourself a 10% discount on top of any other discounts they may have. So jump over to magbreakthrough.com slash align podcast for a discount. If you do not love this product, if it doesn't make a difference in your life, get your money back. No questions asked. I think you're going to dig it. That's it. Magbreakthrough.com slash line podcast. So interesting how we can change our autonomic state based off of, you know, the way that we breathe or the way that we use our visual muscles. If you're always focused in on a screen, it'll put you in more of like a get ready to go, you know, type sympathetic type state. If you're taking in the panorama and relaxing, you're just kind of chilling out, spacing out, that sends a signal into your autonomic nervous system. That's like, okay, Dr. Lin is chilling, you know, and so the rest of your physiology responds appropriately to that. And so we're doing the same thing with our, our breathing patterns. And what's interesting with that is how that ties into the way that we eat and the nutrients that we're craving because now suddenly we're in this reactionary panic state what would that induce as far as like cravings or is there no connection there no there's a huge craving yeah because the when the body is pushed into sympathetic kind of cortisol drive and one of the biggest drivers is sleep is where we when we have incorrect sleep patterns and breathing patterns that drives our sympathetic response right through our sleep cycle which is it is is so harmful for all of the processes that should happen during sleep. And so I, I, I actually put, so what you kind of described there is, you know, most people today that are just completely, you know, disconnected from their environment, you know, overstressed, overworked, you know, difficult family situations, maybe a health problem. And, you know, they don't cope very well. And so when I kind of see these people, you know, they come to see me for, you know, potential teeth issues usually, which are, you know, often, you know, signposts of systemic problems too. 
But the first thing we're kind of talking about is that goes to my mind is I'm trying to dig into, you know, this person obviously isn't sleeping well. And then they'll either fit into two categories where they'll say, oh, I, I sleep fine. I sleep like the dead. Usually men, sometimes women too, but the, you know, they hit the pillow and they're out and gone. You know, they, they wouldn't think of a dream. They find it a little bit difficult to rise you know, early, but they still get up and they go to work. Those people, they're, they're, they're sitting in their non-REM sleep states and they're not going through all of the different areas that the autonomic nervous system needs, needs to be clearing out, you know, a lot in the brain, a lot in the digestive system. And they're, they're missing out on huge aspects of sleep and, and rest and digest that we just don't get. And so that's kind of the category of people that are, you know, probably a little bit unaware of it. But then you've got the people that, that know they don't sleep well and they suffer from it. So they probably sleep, you know, maybe two or three hours a night of restful sleep. They have these tight jaws and, or, and they wake up in the morning and they've been grinding their teeth all night. And they, they often report, you look straight in the mouth and you'll see signs of, the, of scalping across the tongue or clenching on the cheek, or you'll see the, the literal wear signs on the teeth because their jaw has been moving all night. And that's an autonomic response from the brain to open the airway. So when our tongue doesn't sit properly, the sympathetic response of the of the brain is is signal that we are choking. And so these people with their underdeveloped jaws and you know inadequate nutrient levels for neurotransmitters in the brain, they have this sleep pattern that is 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 completely unrestful because they're grinding their teeth all night and they wake up and they feel terrible. They wake up and they feel like they've been hit by a baseball bat. And then so they, they walk around all day and they're like barely surviving and they come in, they look exhausted and they have this host of issues like digestive problems. They have anxiety, depression, cold hands and feet, you know, and they, they really don't cope well. And so these are the people that are driven into sympathetic all the time and they know it. The most common set of people that have this are slightly set females, you know, with a small neck. They have usually or have somewhere in the history had some kind of orthodontic treatment where the teeth have been pulled into a line or sometimes extracted to make it look like the teeth are straight, but their airway is much smaller. And so this describes the imbalance between sympathetic and parasympathetic drive, which is directed by the airway in sleep. And so when we have these palates and these jaws that don't support the airway during sleep, the brain doesn't get its proper rest. So I would say a lot of the symptoms we see in the day are due to the structural problems we we're trying to deal with unconsciously. Um, at night, and then the the subsequent things we miss out on, and all those important um, non REM and REM sleep stages. Mm, that's so cool. It's it's interesting that again drawing the connection of like Eastern philosophy and the Western mechanic stuff. You know, every yoga class or meditation class or anything that's like some pseudo spiritual something will come back to nose breathing. You know, and and it's like the calming of the mind and the samadhi state. You know, and I just read the, the book Four Agreements for like the you know the second second time. It's a very quick read. You can read you know a couple hours. And the the term that they use in the in Toltec term is is mitote, and it essentially translates to thousands of people talking and no one speaking the same language, like understanding each other. And it's just like this like chaos. And it seems like these this, the systems in the body, when they are in alignment, there's there can be this flow and we're this self-healing mechanism, you know, and just our existence is restorative. And then when you kind of cross the wires a little bit, suddenly there's this cacophony and it's it's this like mitote state, this mitote state where it's thousands of, of bits of information, but it's not tracking correctly. 
And then you just feel like your life is in chaos. And then it gets into some of these esoteric ideas and like spiritual ideas. It's like finding stillness and ease and equipoise and serenity. I think it's practically, I don't know if it's impossible, but it's really challenging to get to any of those points when you have physiological chaos. Absolutely. And, you know, look, like what the skill of these kind of ancient texts had were that they were very, very good at describing what would seem like a maybe, you know, a very simple or very kind of maybe abstract concept that actually applies to many, many different situations. And what you've just described just points out exactly what is happening in the body when it's trying to assimilate nutrients from from areas that it doesn't have or, you know, trying to pull vitamin D from the liver that is completely deficient while it's fighting a, mm. a viral or a, a gut infection. And at the same time, trying to deal with an airway issue and a hormonal imbalance that is, you know, being treated by a medication. You can imagine the absolute chaos that is happening within the mind, you know, and, and you know, you add the mental anguish on top of that, you know, stressful job or stressful family life. It's exactly that noise you just made, which I can't replicate, but that's going on <laughs> in the brain, right? And that's totally what people, you know, many people are experiencing today is that they cannot, you know, give their body exactly what they need and put it into alignment so that it can just fix itself. Yeah. And, and so I, I found, you know, very similarly that there are very simple yet applicable concepts like that, that if we just sit and kind of think of them and, and apply them in simple ways to our life, you know, it really does help in terms of, you know, applying, you know, ancient knowledge. This, this was all tied into how our DNA has been around the planet for a very long time. Mm. And then it's interesting because, you know, ultimately we're, we're comfortable with what we've grown accustomed to. So if you, you know, you're going to probably find a, a husband or a wife that reminds you of your mom or your dad. And like, that's kind of breaks down like your initial understanding of what a relationship is, you know? And so for a person that's grown up in a, in a place of cacophony or disorder or, or dysfunction, even like the, the sensation of wellness might almost be, I don't know, like uncomfortable. <laughs> no, so fine. It's it's. I mean, maybe that's maybe that's ridiculous. Actually, I'm not sure. But I, but I think it's like I wonder if we maybe unanswerable question that I have is why is it that humans seem to at least statistically speaking be consciously or unconsciously driving down a track towards dysfunction? What's like the evolutionary value in that, or or, or are we just fucked up? I, I, <laughs> I think there's, you know, there's, you know what, I think there's a lot of merit in what you said that the people fight against themselves a lot, like they um like they really do kind of fight against you know letting themselves kind of make a breakthrough that would you know have a significant change in their life. I see that a lot in people. You know, we talk so like I sit with a patient right, and you know I've, I've kind of perfected it now. You know, to the point where you got to get to the to the the problems that are so simple to understand and so obvious that you know, that they can't kind of skirt around it because people will skirt around problems as much as they can. They don't like to face sure. actually what's going on. And, and it must be some kind of traumatic or some kind of survival mechanism that you avoid something that's going to be uncomfortable. You know, like, like ultimately that may have helped us in our past. But for now, it seems like that we have these, once these survival mechanisms come up, then we, we don't, we will never kind of actually get to what's causing them in the first place and yeah i see so many people that just they just will not have the conversation or they'll acknowledge that they go yeah and then that's it and they'll walk away and that's that's kind of their you know their way of saying that you know this this is how i am this is how i'm not prepared to do this right now and yeah. you know those people they're, they're not ready like you know i can help you know people you know go a long way with their health but 
if they're not willing to take that step, it just doesn't happen. So there's usually kind of some kind of, whether you call it the mind or, you know, whether it's a, a spiritual kind of, you know, trigger point that changes, you know, and then they come back, say three months later and they're like, no, Hey, you know, that thing you said about my snoring and my, my sleep app, you know, I, I need to get that splint now so I can sleep for the next six months so we can start to get this on the track. Or you know, they'll start to say, hey, I can see Johnny, his teeth aren't developing, his mouth breathing, and we need to, to open that up now. The lights have come on and they've, they've changed that, that kind of, you know, whatever monkey on the shoulder, what was holding them back. And unfortunately for some, you know, you, you, can't, you, know, you, you can't walk that path for most people. They have to find it themselves. You, know, you can give them all the tools, but there's there's an element to you know that that you can kind of tell you look life can be really amazing if you let it be, but you have to let it. There's no one else can really do that. So there is kind of an unfortunate self harming aspect to it, which I think you were kind of describing there. I I wonder if there could be some correlation of so the agrarian age, whatever, ten to twelve thousand years ago, like the beginning of agriculture and farming and stuff, and that being a before that there wasn't much, if any, incidence of malocclusion in skulls that we found. Is that true, or is there was there was there any was there any discovery of, of yeah, it, skulls it, that had jacked it, up teeth? It's very rare. Say so fourteen thousand. It's very rare. I mean, there was a huge yeah. traumatic event twelve thousand years ago too, so that could have been it. Right. What was the what what was that? Was that what what happened twelve thousand years ago? Well, that's when the sea sea levels rose. So, like the area of Europe and China today was basically swallowed by sea levels. And Whoa. you know, they say like probably you know maybe an asteroid. That's what they're kind of pointing to. So there's a huge traumatic event. So we've definitely have a collective trauma in the humanity in the hu- human story. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, that's a I whole, didn't know that. That's a whole rabbit hole. <laughs> I love that rabbit hole. Um, so, so I think it's interesting the potential trans transition into being more. I don't know. People probably worship nature, some kind of pagan kind of vibe. Lots of circles and you know mimicking animals and trees and stuff, and like living in congruence with nature. And then there was a, a shift in the way that we're eating, and the way that we we you know hunted or gathered or didn't, and something shifted. The way that the, the the structure of our our jaws and our palates and the way that we breathe and then there's you know association of the way that we breathe to the way that we think and decision making and maybe being in a more reactionary state or maybe more like s- scarcity you know and then how does that influence politics and and policy and the the you know the desire to to conquest you know or maybe like a like a zero sum type perspective on the world there, there's not enough and i i just have you ever thought about this <laughs> like yeah. I, like how 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 these 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 deeper and if you have it that's that's fine but i think it's interesting like how the way that we the way that we eat and the way that we live and the way that we breathe impacts the way that we think and informs like the like the the, the cultural direction of um you know governments yeah t- so the one kind of interesting earlier um view on that was that w- they um they did kind of a, a dental photo study of inmates in prisons and they showed that they they had a certain jaw set so that the narrow kind of overbite and the poorly developed mm. uh, poorly developed front teeth so it showed that there was you know some kind of connection you know whether it's you know to criminal activity and and the you know poorly developed jaws so there's, there's definitely something there in that wow. um it hasn't been very well studied but I think what you kind of describe is, you know, so what happened is what changed us from, you know, being these people connecting to nature and being in, in tune with nature, you know, to being, you know, 
potentially what we are where we are today being you know unaware of well, unaware of both so i really think it comes back to you know teeth really direct us in ways that tell us a lot about ourselves and also about our body and then how we how we kind of you know behave in our environment so if we think about you know, any biological system on the planet none of them have teeth issues ever so you don't find you don't find a tiger you know, in the, the African um, wilderness with it, with a toothache looking for an oral surgeon it just doesn't happen. You don't find humans in the same, in the same context, you know, out, out when they're living in nature with, with teeth issues, you just don't find it. You don't find it in the skull record, you know, to hundreds of thousands of years, you see these huge developed jaws. You don't find impact of wisdom teeth. You don't find tooth decay. It doesn't happen in nature. So there is something about teeth that are fundamental to our physiology that once it begins to degrade, we begin to lose this connection. With the starting point, which is about 12,000 years ago, you know, a lot of societies and civilizations talk about much longer past than we talk about. So, you know, we kind of talk about this hunter-gatherer past that, that just changed in an instant with an agricultural revolution. A lot of societies talk about, and there's bodies of knowledge that talk about civilizations that go a long way back. And so that maybe this kind of point at about 12,000 years wiped a lot of the records and that we actually have a history that we don't know that much about too. There's something there maybe. And the societies in general. So for the Egyptian society, something that I've found that is really interesting, they knew how to live in high technology and completely in touch with nature. Like you look at their structures, you look at and you read the way they were thinking, they were binary computers. They were doing quantum mathematics with their, the way they were building structures and they were aligning with, with, with star structures and so forth. And this is kind of information that we're, you know, this is a level of consciousness that we're not really at. And so their records kind of point back further. So, I mean, I think there's a context there that, that we probably don't know as much as we think we do in terms of A, our body. One big thing with society is that, you know, if we look at, say, dental insurance and medical insurance, completely separate. So a dentist, myself, you train as completely separate to medical professionals and you get very limited conversation as to what is happening in a patient's body compared to what we're seeing in the mouth. That's a huge, huge disconnect that we need to fix in society that would really kind of tie up a lot of the problems that we see in society today because, you know, as an example, one of the biggest problems we have is type 2 diabetes. You know, we have you know, trillions of dollars being spent on type 2 di diabetic medications what are the first problems of sugar consumption, which is blood sugar irregulation, that we see? Well, it's tooth decay in kids. So kids are eating too much sugar. They're becoming pre-diabetic, probably in their teens, probably far early today, and then they're becoming diabetic later on. So if we just had this conversation earlier and we understood that the mouth is the first signpost with both what we put in it, how we function and how it connects to systemically, then it becomes a lot easier. And the really interesting stuff is where, you know, in Chinese medicine and Eastern philosophy, they, they talk about how each tooth connects to an organ and then there's meridian systems running through the body. Um, you know, all of this is more or less out there, you know, with scientific verification. We just kind of need the willingness and the, you know, the kind of systems to, to put it together properly so that we can understand it in a way that's palpable in a Western uh, sense. Yeah. And then, and then children eating sugar, is it, I, you, you posted about this as well. I think it's, you're not supposed to have ideally over like 25 grams of sugar a day and it's associated to memory loss and, you know, addictive behavior and, you know, probably a whole plethora of other, other problems, right? But sugar is just like, it's just infused into, into culture. Yeah. Right sugar on. really is infused into culture and, um, you know, kind of the, it, it, it's a difficult thing. So a lot of people are far more addicted to sugar than they, than they realize. And so 
What sugar does, it comes in many different forms. It comes in, you know, all of the different processed forms, but you have glucose and fructose. And so glucose is the, the one that will be used for energy, but then fructose has to be um, metabolized in the liver. And so that pathway forges inflammation and it forges fat buildup in the liver and fatty liver. And so kids today are, are presenting in hospitals with um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And this is purely a fructose issue, which includes fruit. And so what happens is that when we overload our system with, with sugar and we, we underload it with vitamin D, so normally what happens in the liver is that if, if the, the liver has to churn up fructose, it will use vitamin D, which is its the molecularized light, and it will use it to kind of churn it up. And in summer, where you've got lots of fruit around, that's what would happen. You have plenty of vitamin D, you would have a bit of fructose going in the liver, and it's not an issue. And this inflammation pattern turns out you and you put a little bit of fat on which you then burn through winter. And then so we've lost this pattern. And so we just flood our systems with both all types of sugar that overloads the liver. And then kids, their, their little systems are just absolutely so sensitive to this. So my kids don't have any sugar. And I know it seems a bit strange. It seems a bit kind of maybe a bit too kind of over the top. But so they've never eaten any kind of refined sugar. They've never had a cereal. They've never had bread. They've never had fruit. Because... What I want is for their body to, to completely adapt to a ketones, which is a fat-based energy system, which produces four times the amount of glucose than just putting a simple sugar molecule into our digestive system. And I see it. You know, I, I, my son's three and a half now, and he's heavy. And like his skull, like his, it is thick, and his bones are like dense. And you know, I can tell that his body has enough of the nutrients that he's got. And my daughter's the same. My daughter's two. And she's like, you could, you could crack a nut over her head. She's, she's, she's tough like, <laughs> and strong. And like the resilience and the, these jaw bones that this is all in our genetics. Like we can, we can do this, but we kind of need to give our, our bodies and our cells the right resources to do so. Yeah. So I want to get, I want to touch on some just like takeaway specific mechanical principles that people can be doing in relation to tongue posture and breathing and, and things of the sort. But the before that a question that i had was your thoughts on uh, fluoride and the relationship of like calcification of the pineal gland what do you think of all that yeah i mean that's uh, i don't really speak about that very publicly yet so for what fluoride does so we know for instance that fluoride what the mechanism is it it integrates into the tooth structure and so what the body does is you consume the the most effective method they teach us that uh, fluoride acts is through water fluoridation. And so what happens is that when you put a, a small concentration of fluoride into water, it, it goes into the body and the body will actually put that element into the tooth structure. So from hydroxyapatite to hydroxyfluoroapatite. And the, it's this funny little thing where hydroxyfluoroapatite is actually more resistant to acid breakdown. So you get this kind of hardened enamel but it's kind of like what we don't realize is that enamel is a living structure. It's a living, powerful structure. And so it's constantly exchanging minerals and, you know, like I said, magnesium, really important with saliva. And so what happens is that when you have this hardened structure, it's, it's dead to an, an extent. Like it's, it's, it's hard as a rock. It doesn't, it doesn't behave. It doesn't vibrate, you know, because, you know, bone is a vibratory you know, it, it will pass a current through and it will, it will, you know, like a seeing bowl kind of aspect. Mm. And so teeth lose that, that aspect when we put that in. But the other big thing is that it, it competes, it's a halide element and it competes with iodine. So, so fluoride will actually downregulate 
the production of thyroxine and the thyroid hormones. And that's one huge thing that we, we're in an epidemic of hypothyroidism now. And that's likely due to, you know, the overexposure to things like fluoride. So that's, you know, my kids don't have that, you know, because one, once you understand the, the systems that the body actually uses, there's no need for it. You know, there may be some very, very small amounts of clinical situations for topical fluoride to stop a, a carious situation. But for me, I feel like I want to use the, what nature is, has worked with us. And basically the body is, is, is far more complex in the way it uses calcium than we've given it credit for. So there's some studies in China, for instance, that show that you get these cardiovascular calcifications because of the fluoride. So the fluoride actually goes and calcifies everything else too. So the heart tissues, the kidneys, so kidney stones are quite common today too. And then what likely happens is that we find this calcification also in the brain. And then so the, the pineal gland actually sits from the sphenoid bone and it dangles into cerebrospinal fluid. And the pineal gland is the master endocrine hormone. It's running everything that we're, we've been talking about, the breathing, the nutrients, the connection to light. It's thinking about everything and it's reading it through cerebrospinal fluid and blood flow. So it's, it's measuring in tiny, tiny, tiny amounts everything that's going on in the body and it's releasing hormones through the pituitary gland as a response. So it's saying, right, there's not enough of this, I'm going to release this, we're going to release this to the, and the, we're, we're about to approach it approach a situation so we're going to release some cortisol to help us survive that and so it's constantly doing that and so what happens is the fluoride actually builds up in the pineal gland and it and it will actually jam it up and so that's kind of the the, the downsides and, and you also find it in the brain too because we know that alzheimer's degeneration is linked to calcification which is probably you know partly due to imbalances of you know calcium ions and so forth vitamin d deficiency but also to the buildup of fluoride in the brain wow how does a person unwind that so, so that, yeah, there's a whole kind of set of nutrients. So firstly, you need to get vitamin D and vitamin A levels up uh, and kind of up through the roof. Um, it kind of seems a bit scary. Vitamin A is something people are very scary of, but people need a lot more vitamin A because you, you know, you can eat, you can get a, a good shot from um, liver, but unless you're eating a lot of liver a day, you're probably not going to get the amount to the body to shoot it all out. And then, you know, right. something like a K2 supplement, you know, a, a natto, you heard of natto kinase, which is a, so K2 is one of the, you, you find it in organ meats, but you also find the MK7 form in fermented soy from Japan, very high concentrations. And you get this enzyme called natto kinase, which, which upregulates the use of K2. And K2 is the decalcifier. So K2 will go and pick all that stuff out if you have it activated and enough and if, if it's got enough vitamin A and D running it and activating it as well. So those three nutrients are critical, lots of magnesium. And the good one for the brain is the magnesium l 3 because that actually, the l 3 molecule jumps into the cerebrospinal fluid. And then so you're getting the magnesium straight to the brain, but you, you probably need to take a, a lot of different types of magnesium, glycinate, malate, and so forth, because the throughout the body, magnesium is used all throughout the body. And it, your brain will use it, but your heart needs it as well. Your digestive system, your microbiome needs it. So when we're deficient in magnesium, which most people are, um, and if we're kind of working with these less ideal anti-nutrients, which we have been, we need a lot of it to kind of kick us out. It takes time. And then a big one too is active CoQ10. So ubiquinol, which is the active coenzyme Q10, which goes into the mitochondria and it activates a, a really powerful energy system in, 
in the mitochondria. And so ubiquinol is one of the most concentrated forms you can get there. That's a really good start. And then things like neem extract, which is a Vedic medicine that kind of is great for pulling out things like calcifications. Tastes awful, but um, yeah, there's there's a number of kind of, of nutrients that help. Iodine is really important too. Literally, there's kind of a whole way that you go about it, but the if you base yourself in the fat soluble vitamins, your body will kind of direct you like because it's, that's the fundamental. So you give yourself the vitamin D, vitamin A, vitamin K2, and then you'll be able to kind of work the other stuff through. It's just you need those fundamentally first. I'm going to take a moment and share something that has been a game changer for my life and my training that is taking essential amino acids from Keon. You probably know that the human body is mostly water. What you probably do not know is that everything else in your body is about 50% amino acids. These building blocks of life are essential for health and fitness. No matter how you like to move, whatever you do to stay fit, amino acids are essential. This is why Keon Aminos is my fundamental supplement for fitness. I drink them every day for energy, muscle, and recovery. Keon Aminos is backed by over 20 years of clinical research, has the highest quality ingredients, no fillers or junk. They've undergone rigorous testing and tastes amazing with all natural flavors. So if you want to naturally boost energy, build lean muscle, and enhance athletic recovery, you got to get Keon Aminos. And you can now save 20% on monthly deliveries and 10% on one-time purchases. Just go to getkeon.com slash align. That is G-E-T-K-I-O-N.com slash align, A-L-I-G-N. That's 20% off on monthly deliveries and 10% off on one-time purchases. Go to getkeon.com slash align. So, so you mentioned neem and I think that's a really interesting thing, you know, a more obvious one of like, okay, we're like using toothpaste and like mouthwash and neem seems to be something that's, that's supportive for your teeth and your oral dental health. And I, I would, I would presume the, your mouth biome, is that correct? And then, and then within that, the, the question is what's happening when we're taking, you know, like swooshing around like alcohol based mouthwashes or using kind of chemical laden toothpastes and we're smashing that into our gums yeah totally. i mean so the the whole thing there is that we have like everyone's talking about the gut microbiome well the oral microbiome is the interaction with the world and so when we put these antibacterial solutions into the mouth both and we know fluoride for instance so the, the easiest argument for fluoride is that it's antibacterial so when you go and put a, an antibacterial two or three times a day you kill off the diversity of bacteria and so when we look at the studies that they pick off calcified plaque from, from ancient teeth, they find that the oral microbiome is far more diverse than it is um, today. And so when you kill off diversity, you kill off resilience and you kill off many of the things that the biome is doing. So what bacteria are actually doing is that they are interplaying with, with calcium. So they make plaque with calcium and minerals and they, they actually direct the calcium into the, the teeth. So the hydroxyapatite is mineralized via bacterial signals and they release acids to demineralize teeth when it needs to be through certain digestive processes and they signal. And so when you put all these chemicals into the mouth, you degrade this diversity. And so what you want to do is reduce the amount of antibacterials as possible. You want to introduce as many fat-based kind of foods because fat is nourishing um, mm. and it, fat will actually replenish the microbiome. So that's, that's, like, that's like the coconut oil pooling. 
yeah, coconut oil pulling, and even yeah, so even in in the diets, you so like butter, like butter is one of you know cause it's high in the retinoids, yeah. so the bacteria are just going to flourish off those kind of nutrients because the the butter has the the K two, it has the A and the D, yeah, and so all, when you when you take away the carbohydrates, which is the all the simple sugars, all the flours, all the grains, all the fruits, and so forth, and, and introduce predominantly fat through diet as well, and and, and rinsing if if you like, you can do the Vedic kind of coconut rinses or sesame oil oil rinses and that will change the microbiotic environment in the mouth interesting so the coconut oil pulling because i i've heard it's like it's like pulling toxins out or something is it is it more like fertilizer for your your mouth bugs yeah like it's i mean look it we don't really know what coconut oil pulling does or is it just bullshit or is it just bullshit because no, no, like, <laughs> so, so like it's in so it's a vedic practice right so they they did it yeah. and so the other vedic practice is, is the the neti pots which is great sure yeah so that but the what what it does is if you if you introduce a fat into the environment it will starve out the fast metabolizing bacteria we know the fast metabolizing bacteria the strep mutants lactobacillus certain lactobacillus species some are very good some can cause um, decay will, will will decrease and so you put that fat into the environment and this is something we haven't really studied that much yet but the the microbes and the the certain type of bacteria that live with fat will then flourish and then so it will balance out the environment again so we know that strep cool. mutants and so forth overgrows when we eat too many carbohydrates so it's a simple equation of you put the good stuff in and the good stuff will grow and I, I heard from from you that there's a, a correlation of being put into a pre-diabetic state from using alcohol-based mouthwashes. Is that correct? And, and what they did is they measured people that use alcoholic mouthwashes daily. Um, that decreased the oral microbiome diversity. They measured decreases yeah. in the, the gut microbiome diversity, which then we know is linked to a risk of pre-diabetes. So blood sugar dysregulation because you lose the back, the gut bacteria that regulate the the blood sugar so you lose your your insulin sensitivity so you become more susceptibility to insulin resistance because the gut bacteria aren't as diverse because you're killing the bacteria in your mouth so presently we're kind of like i think that culturally we're almost undergoing like a like a a, a global autoimmune disease of sorts where we're attacking our our like, like we are bugs we're comprised of of, of trillions of, of bacteria and we're having this unfruitful attempt at destroying the bugs so I, I i wonder and that's maybe that's just that's just my opinion but i wonder your your thoughts on that and then i also wonder are there any long-term implications or effects of being obsessed with you know like hyper sanitization of your world your hands and everything you touch and the doorknobs and like is that a good thing is that have some type of trickle down effect into the rest of your biome uh it absolutely has an effect you know we show that you know the, the hygiene hypothesis kind of shows that once we remove dirt and kind of these microbes we know there's a soil microbiome we know that that kids and people that, that grow up in nature and that there was a recent study on kids who grow up in with garden kind of playgrounds that they had less, I can't remember if it was allergies or, or whether it was autoimmune issues, but it's definitely associated allergies, to allergies. Yeah. And, and then that's the same thing with, with, with kids or not sorry, with, with, with dogs being exposed. That's right. That's right. Cause they're bringing, they're bringing the, they're bringing nature inside. Yeah, totally. And it's just diversity. So it's basically, you know, it, it's food for thought for the, for the immune system, the immune system's understanding yeah. its environment and then it's not being so reactive. So autoimmunity popped up. As soon as we started this whole issue of trying to disinfect and kill everything, it was all the whole magic bullet issue 
in the 20s and 30s where antibiotics just popped up out of nowhere. Then all of a sudden, you know, we only have this one thing. Antibiotics have a great modality to, to kill an infection if you need to. But the whole idea of completely disinfecting everything really doesn't, you know, stack up to long-term health. You really need to, yeah, you need to, you know, shower and clean yourself and, you know, brush your teeth and everything, but you shouldn't be chemically disinfecting yourself all the time. You should be reconnecting yeah. through the, the, the data nature to both sunlight, which brings in changes. We know that sunlight changes bacteria directly through in the gut. So when you expose yourself to sun, we know that, that you'll get a boost of um, certain type of bacteria. And then exposing it through connection, through grounding and, and, and soil connection that we know that will then reconnect all of those things. And probably a big part of this that, that we'll learn a lot more is, is the mycobiome, the fungal microbiome because you know, we've kind of played with bacteria and bacteria are kind of fiddly they die quickly and they they're, they're a bit fickle but the the fungal bacteria is kind of the neurological network of you know we know in the rainforest but also to ourselves so we know that you know candida candida infections are an imbalance in the fungal the microbiome so understanding you know the connection of, of how we balance those fungal aspects are, are big especially for the immune system yeah, and we just—I just did a conversation with Doctor Ganum. Are you familiar with him at all? He's like big in the 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 microbiome conversation. Familiar with him at all? I've He's, I've heard it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen. His, yeah. Okay. Anyway, people can refer back to that if you want to go spend an hour and a half going into what what that is. Thank you so much, man. I'm like I'm like so I'm, I have like my popcorn here. I'm like enthralled with all of this stuff. Is popcorn good for your biome? I don't actually literally have popcorn, but is what what do you think? Look, a bit of snacks. Popcorn. Oh wait, hold on. This is a question I want to ask. What are your thoughts on uh, sweeteners? Like, like the like you know, obviously, obviously, agave seems to have been debunked. You know, where there's all sorts of blood sugar issues or something to start with that. But but monk fruit and erythritol and stevia. Are we like? Are we getting away with something with that? Uh, I don't think so. so I, I don't use them, right? So like the the way the the way I've kind of always you know, approach this and like, so this is the whole challenge of the dentist, right? How do you get your patients off sweets, right? Like, yeah. This is one good thing that dent, you know, dentists have been doing well is that we've been trying to downplay the, you know, how sugars, you know, impact the teeth. So the, I've looked at all the kind of artificial sweeteners and like my conclusion really is, is that any kind of sweet taste, so any kind of sweet, so sweet taste on the buds, whether it's, whether it's a sugar that, that has the hormonal effect, is going to have some kind of impact on that I think is negative long term. There, there are other taste buds. So when we have you know kind of the sour and there's kind of the taste buds that recognize all the fats, I think the sweet really turns this off. And I think even if you can kind of you know bypass you know the the blood sugar rises with some of those placements, I think there's still downsides in constantly giving sweet hits. Of course, you can have it sometimes, but my thing is like, why would you give yourself a sweetener or just have something sweet every now and then, every now and again, rather than trying to sweeten everything artificially here and there? I'm just generally suspicious <laughs> of, of, you know, because it's like that's the way science and especially like nutritional guidelines and research and all that stuff. Like you don't know what you don't know and what you think you know now almost absolutely will change. There's going to be some big, you know, empirical study, something or another in six months or six years. It's like, well, that thing you knew was actually now you're disagreeing with yourself of the past. That's and my feeling. <laughs> yeah, my my intuition is there's going to be something where we're, where you know our sweet parade thing where we're like, oh man, I didn't know. 
that's but that's my just my intuition so whatever 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 that is the only thing so i was kind of really when i wrote a book i was really kind of against sweet i was like no you don't have any sweets the, the one thing i came back to is the, the raw honey thing so like the raw natural yeah that's what i was thinking yeah yes yeah, so, yeah. so like the the raw honey where you get it straight from the source so that the the bacteria and the lactobacillus species and all of the the extra things that the so the manuka honey so one thing i've been having is the high power manuka honey from new zealand and that stuff is like like it you can feel your brain running on it because mm. the yeah all of the different microbial but then also the the you don't get the blood sugar roller coaster because of of all the other factors that the, the bees introduce and it's really important for the brain mm. yeah but manuka honey high power that's something that's we'll definitely kind of hear more about cool all right thank you man i'm really i'm so excited about getting to getting to share this with you what's where should people see so if you've, you've where's, where's the best place to point people from, from here if they want to go deeper into your work yeah so my um my socials are at dr Stephen lynn and website dr lynn.com which will be yeah so my, my podcast will actually be up so i've been doing this set of interviews up and so they can come and check that out which is the mouth brain connection that should be up in the next couple of months and yeah, Great. yeah, it's been a pleasure. I really appreciate the conversation and having me on. So, sorry we couldn't do this in December, but no, yeah, it's all I, good. I really enjoy further conversations. And yeah, it's 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 all, always interesting stuff. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, cool. Well, I uh, look forward to getting to do this in person at some point. And thank you all for tuning in. That's it. That's all. Over now. Devoured that conversation. Once again, you can hear the last bit of this podcast episode over at the Align community, which is over a thousand strong. I pop in there every day. We share exclusive content and it's a radical place to connect. Jump over to alignpodcast.com slash community for that. Thank you to Kay Gallegos and everyone out there for leaving reviews on this. That is a very supportive way to engage with this podcast. I appreciate it so much. I hope you have a phenomenal week and I'll see you soon.